Amen. Thank you so much, Lord God, for this day. Thank you for life. Thank you for health. Thank you for provision and protection. Thank you, Lord God, for who you are and what you do. We praise your name today in the house of the Lord, as the people of the Lord. We praise your name. Purihin ang Panginoon. Amen. Magandang umaga po sa inyong lahat. Good morning to you all. Kumusta po kayo? How are you today? I am well. I am grateful for your prayers. Uh, 18 years ago today, I might have been the most excited man on the face of the earth. Maybe the most nervous too. Because it was 18 years ago today that I married my beautiful bride and she married me, more importantly. So thank you, Panga. I love you. Mahal na mahal kita. And I'm very grateful. I have not been uh, nearly as good of a husband as I thought I might or could be. And I'm grateful that you've never seemed as disappointed in me as I've often been in myself. But thank you for being the best wife to me that I could ever ask for. Thank you, Lord, for us. So you know what's interesting is the place we were married in, a chapel called the Prayer Chapel, which is a chapel at the Church on the Way, the first four-square church of Van Nuys, actually, the Church on the Way of Van Nuys, California. That's where we met. We both attended that church. We both served in that church, but it was and is a very large church. We had not actually met each other in person until we started attending a session of morning prayer meetings at 6.30 p.m., 6.30 a.m., I think, or 6 a.m., something like that. And, um, and uh, we got to know each other right there in the prayer chapel so that when we got married, we knew we wanted to get married in the prayer chapel. So we got married where we met. Not many people get to do that. But you know, you may have heard this, that building actually burned uh, a couple of years ago. Um, uh, sadly, the result of an arson, apparently. And do you know that there was a time where the church wasn't certain, and understandably so, because it's very, very costly to restore a building that's been burned from the inside out. Because even if it's still standing on the outside, the damage on the inside from the fire itself, from the smoke, and from the firefighting agencies who have to do damage to the building in order to save it. They're pouring water and, and uh, all kinds of chemical agents uh, and having to you know, b- break through structure or tear away burning structure. So to repair a building like that is often much more costly than simply to tear it down and start over from scratch. And we understood that, but our prayer was, Lord, if there's a way, we pray that that place where we met and that place where we were married, even though it went through the fire, it wouldn't be brought down, it would be built back up. Do you know that they determined after prayer and consideration to rebuild and refurbish that building. It'll now be known as the Hayford Prayer Chapel for Pastor Jack Hayford, who uh, once ministered there weekly for many, many years. And do you know that it is today that they are dedicating the building, that they are praying and writing scriptures onto the, uh, on, yeah, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. They're writing scriptures into the bones of the building, as it were, into the beams and the wood frames. They're writing scriptures. And the scripture that was on our wedding bulletin is going to be included in there uh, today. I'm very, very blessed by this. And it's so astonishing that it happens precisely on our anniversary. We were married on a Saturday, but it just happens that October 27th, this year falls on a Sunday and the day of that dedication. And the Lord said to me, 
that this was an affirmation, once again, of Isaiah 43, 2, which is one of the verses that he's spoken to me many times. I've shared it with you before. That though you go through the fire, you won't be burned. There is both the reality that you go through the fire, but also the reality that God restores. And of course, it couldn't be more timely in another way this weekend, which is that we've been through another fire this weekend. We're okay, and I want to thank you so much for praying for us. Of course, we're very sensitive to the fact that there are others who didn't fare so well, who have lost their homes, or who have experienced tremendous damage to their home. Their home is standing, but it's the, the, the impact on them in terms of lost property and in terms of expenses are really extraordinary. Of course, the most important thing in events like these are lives, and we're grateful that the Lord has protected lives, but we also know there are fires burning all over. So before we begin the word today, I want to pray. Um, I will tell you that the fire came close to us, but we never had to be evacuated. We were ready to be evacuated. And it was interesting because you remember our message from last week? It was about giving away everything. And I talked about how the Lord was reminding us that everything we own and everything we have, even our homes and everything belongs to him. And I found that the Lord was sort of putting me to the test this week about that. Here I was on the platform saying, do you give everything away? And then facing a real situation in which I might lose everything. Of course, my family is most important, but even in that you wonder. It's very difficult to get out of the Santa Clarita Valley. Fires can move very, very fast, and none of us have forgotten the horrific situation of people in paradise last year who, even though they were on the road trying to get out, got stuck and died. It's scary for good reason. It's a very dangerous situation. And yet, because of the prayers of many saints like you, and even more because of the faithfulness of God, we had peace. I had peace. But I was also reminded of this reality. Lord, everything I have belongs to you. So even if I lose everything, so long as I don't lose you, I haven't really lost anything. It's easy to say that. It's much harder when it gets put to the test. And God does put it to the test. I'm grateful that I didn't have to lose everything. But I'm also aware that there are people that did. And you know, I had an opportunity to give away things this week that really, I'll be honest with you, can I just be by, by nature, my very regular carnal self? There were things I wanted to keep. I would like to have kept these things. But there were people that lost so much that I thought, what kind of faithful follower of Jesus would I be if I kept these things from people who need them so much more than I do. I think that was my big uh, illustration from last week's sermon in my life this week. And I'm not saying that uh, I did so well with it. I was kind of surprised at how hard it was when I was going through my closet to give people clothes and going through my gift cards to give them away. And I was thinking, I'd like this one. I like that one. But the Lord was reminding me of this sermon last week that this crazy preacher was preaching who said, give things away. And yet the Lord also reminded me, don't do it because you have to. Don't do it against your heart. Do it because of your love for me and my love for them. Hallelujah. So there's opportunity for you this week too. There's a lot of people who have lost a lot. Will you investigate ways to help them? And if you need help with that, contact me. There are organizations that can help, and I also know people personally who have experienced loss. I can help channel your giving to them as well. We're a giving church, 
And I thank God for that. And I thank God for you and for your prayers. Now, the dangers aren't over. The conditions actually that lead to more fires are resuming as we enter into this week and the season ahead. So we're going to pray. And we're going to pray that God would put out those fires. There's another fire burning in our nation and it bears me mentioning this morning. You know, in the 200 year history of the United States that led up to our bicentennial when I was just a little kid, but I remember it. I remember when America turned 200. Maybe some of you remember that too. It was a big deal all through the year of 1976. But in the 200 years leading up to that, the, uh, the unique measure of um, presidential impeachment had only ever been invoked once in the 200-year history of this nation. But in my lifetime, since 1972, every quarter century, there's a president in office that is facing impeachment. Now, everyone's very well aware of what's going on now, and don't get concerned. I'm not going to make a political statement. I am not here to make political statements. But I am not also here to ignore what's going on in our nation. I want to speak to you about what's going on from a biblical and God perspective, if I may. And may God grace me to do that. So it really doesn't matter where you stand on these issues, particularly to what I'm saying. What I want to say is, as the people of God, there's a couple of things we need to recognize. One is, what's going on now is not just now. But for the last 45 years, this nation has been in time of crisis. I don't think this nation is quite aware of that. But when you have three presidents, I'm talking about President Nixon, who surely would have been impeached had he not resigned. The articles of impeachment were already drafted in the Congress. It would surely have gone forward. And I think there's very little doubt on any side that he would have been impeached. In, in other words, he would have been impeached and probably removed from office. Instead, he resigned. Some 25 years later, President Clinton was impeached, and though he prevailed in the Senate and was not removed from office, the process did play out. And then, of course, another 25 years or so, a little less, now uh, President Trump is facing the, the possibility of an impeachment. You could not imagine three more different presidents. You couldn't imagine three more different administrations. You have both Republicans and a Democrat involved. That says something to me. It says that there's a crisis in our land. And it's a crisis that's been building and building and building. And make no mistake, it is a crisis about turning away from God. That is what it is about. But the nation does not recognize that. Even the people of God don't seem to recognize it. And when they do recognize it, they, they appropriate it the wrong way by saying, my view is God's view. But I believe what the Lord is saying to us is, you, all of you, my people, need to seek me for what my view is. Because his view is broader than ours. It's always amazing to me that the statement I'm about to make is controversial, but it is controversial. But I'll tell you what, it's true, and I'm going to stand by it. God is neither a Republican nor a Democrat. Here's something even more controversial. God loves both Republicans and Democrats. Here's the most controversial yet. There are both Republicans and Democrats who love God and who hold to their views in a way in which they firmly believe that their view is following the will of God. 
It's important to recognize that. But I want to say something else. In my estimation, I offer this to you as an opinion, as your pastor, as a theologian of some, some kind, as a fellow believer, as your brother. It's my opinion. You can take it or leave it. But in my opinion, I do not believe that the Republican Party nor the Democratic Party is deeply committed to the view of God in our age. They are both more interested in their own agenda. Now, you could say, well, they're po political parties, and that, so why should they be interested in God? <laughs> but if you're saying that, I want to say to you, that's not a Christian perspective. I'm not saying that we should institute some state government that goes against everything we were founded upon, but it has not always been true that the Republican and Democratic Party had no dedication to the things of God. That has not historically been the case in our nation, but it has been true for nearly the last half century and it becomes increasingly true in every year. And that's not a statement about organizations. That's a statement about us. It's a statement about people. So whatever you think should happen right now, I trust you in the wisdom of the brain that God has given you and the heart that God has given you and the spirit of God in you to be led to advocate for those things which you truly do believe are of the Lord and for the best interest of people. But let's remember to seek God first. If we're going to speak out, let's be sure that we check in with God before we check in to Facebook or tweet out on Twitter. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things these days, but there's not very many people listening for God. Even people who are tweeting and talking about God. If there's something that the Lord puts on our heart to say, say it. And don't hesitate to say it. Stand for those things that God calls you to stand for. But be sure that it's God. Not just your tradition, your expectation, or what you think is right in your eyes, but what God would show to you. And then have charity for anyone who is genuinely doing that and arriving at a different conclusion. Because friends, it is possible to love the Lord and know the word and have different opinions about policies and politicians. And we should have enough love and grace in our heart to accept that with love and grace without denying what we believe in and without relenting from things that we think are important. But if we are to be a United States, and if you're living here, no matter where you were born, no matter where your citizenship is, you're here in the United States. And one of the things that makes the United States special is we believe together, all of us, that we should be united. If we are going to be united, there's only one who can unite us. In God, we trust. If we trust in anything else, it will be division because we'll be sowing to the wind. And I assure you, we will reap the whirlwind. A house divided cannot and will not stand. I've never believed that it was more possible that the nation of the USA could crumble from existence off the face of the earth than I do in the days in which we are living. I pray that's not what comes because I believe that this nation, no better than any other nation, nevertheless, has the opportunity to be a blessing to every other nation. 
One of our presidents, whether you liked him or not, once quoted the Bible and said that we ought to aspire to be a city on a hill. It's the words of Christ about letting our light shine. Don't take that as a political statement. Take that as a statement of Christ, calling us to remember that in the midst of all these things going on, wars on terror, victories and failures in that, economy rising and falling, political division, problems in the White House, problems in the Congress, there is one thing that matters, one thing that we need, and that is God. No one has seen God at any time, but Jesus Christ has made him known to us and given us the good news of his word that says, if my people who are called by my name will turn from their wicked ways, repent and seek my face, I'll hear them, I'll answer, and I'll cleanse their land, heal their disease. So let's pray today. Let's pray for safety in the natural order of our nation. Fires to be put out, firefighters to be protected, homes and lives to be preserved. Let's pray that our leaders would have wisdom, that righteousness would be restored in all the sectors of our government, but most importantly, that the people of this nation would turn to the Lord, repent from wrong, and seek his face. And that includes first and foremost us. Let's repent. Lord, we come before you with humility, confessing that if you desired, Lord, to burn this nation down, to break down its buildings, to shake down its government and take down every one of its leaders, who on earth could stop you or call you wrong? We don't declare that this is your will, but what we do recognize is it is your power and your right. Forgive us as a people, Lord, that we have elevated ourselves above you, placed our own will and purposes above you, that the love of mammon, money-grubbing love, runs rampant, in this nation, and we recognize that is a love in our own heart. Put it to death, Lord, that we would not be driven by the love of money, which is the root of much evil, that we would not be driven by the love of power with the intention to wield it for our own purposes, but that rather we would submit ourselves to your power. We thank you, Lord, that there remain in our government good, righteous, and honorable people on both sides of the aisle, who really desire to do right to help others and would yield to you, Lord. We pray that you would raise them up, lift them up. We pray, Lord, that you would strengthen and guide and encourage them. Lord, we recognize that there are surely in our government people with ulterior motives. We pray that you would call them to repent, that you would bring them to righteousness, that honesty and justice, humility and grace, integrity, wisdom, nobility, honor, self-sacrifice, and the willingness to speak the truth boldly and without embarrassment or apology would be brought to bear among our leaders and that any who would resist you, Lord, that you would turn them out and cast them aside. Whether we voted for them or voted against them, Lord, what we ask is that you, by your will, would vote, that you would remove any who resist, but that you would lift up all those who will believe and receive and walk in you. We pray that the people of this nation would have that heart, and so we take your heart into ourselves. We ask that you would give us a heart of repentance, of grace, and also 
the eyes to see and the ears to hear the truth. We thank you, Lord, for police officers and firefighters and healthcare workers who face so much struggle in these days with such demand, and we ask that you would grace them, protect them, and Lord, any that have suffered injury or any families that have suffered loss among them, you would comfort, you would draw to them yourself, you would draw them to yourself. We pray for those who have lost very much in these recent fires, lost loved ones, lost homes, lost property, and we ask, Lord, that they would receive encouragement and comfort from you. For those who don't know you, Lord, we pray that you would use this to draw them to you and reveal yourself to them, even in tragedy, that you are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. For those who do know you, Lord, we pray that you would secure them in you, that you would give them peace that surpasses understanding and also a testimony that even though they lost everything in having you, they have it all. And Lord, as your people, we pray that you would help us to be a witness in the world, to stand for righteousness, to stand boldly, to show love, to show grace, to speak the truth in love, and to give help where it is needed, even if it puts us in the position of needing help ourselves, because you are our help, and we trust in you. There's only one thing we need, Lord God, and it's you, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, it may be that that was the sermon. <laughs> and if so, then hallelujah. But I've got a little bit of time with you, and you know me. I'm never at a loss for words. So I'm going to take a sip, turn to the person next to you and say, he's going to talk more. <laughs> hey, just imagine being married to me. There's only one person in the room that has to deal with that, and she's got an extra crown in heaven. I want to, um, before I get into the word, just remind you, can you believe it? A week from today, we will have already set our clocks back. So this coming Saturday night, you know what? You're going to be ready for a great rest. You know why? Because you're going to have been here at PCF, as PCF, all day, Saturday, November 2nd, working. We're going to share the day together. We're going to clean up, clean out, um, spruce up. It's getting ready for a season of harvest to come. And so there's things to be cut down and cleared out and things to be built up and prepared. I'd like it if you, during your ministry times today, during discovery hour following the service, talk with your ministry heads, see what it is that they have planned for the day. If you can be here for the whole day, that's great. But if you can only come for a portion of the day, just come for the portion of the day that you can. Now, some people have work or other obligations, but find a way. Where there's a will, there's a way, right? But if you can't, absolutely can't be here, nevertheless, I really mean this, lift up prayer for us. Prayer that there would be good productivity that day. Prayer for protection. You know, people will be on ladders and dealing with solvents and things like that. Just pray. Pray covering. Pray for joy and fellowship. And pray to the Lord to forgive you for not... No, no, I'm kidding. That's... He's already forgiven. But you'll be missing out on the food we're going to share and the time we're going to share. Really, we're looking... At, you know, one of... I've already mentioned this, but I'm going to say it again. One of my favorite memories from church growing up as a kid was the times we got together and did work together. I really, there's so much fellowship that happens in that. So come have fun with us next Saturday. And then when you get home after a good day's work, there's something in Proverbs that says the best sleep comes after a day's work. I don't remember the words, but that sounds good to me. Sounds like a proverb, doesn't it? It's mine anyway. Then you'll be ready to turn your clock back. You get an extra hour of sleep. What perfect timing. I don't think we even thought of that when we planned it, but the Lord knew you'd get an extra hour of sleep that night. So you will turn your clocks back. So if you usually go to bed at 10, 
look, you're actually going to bed at 9, right? And be sure to do that because that, that's going to be our clocks going forward. So that's a week from yesterday. This coming Thursday is Harvest Festival, okay? 5.30 to 7.30 out in our parking lot. It's going to be great. We're still receiving candy donations. We can still use volunteer help. Um, again, you can talk to your ministry heads or you can talk to Pastor Rochelle and uh, they will let you know how you can uh, be involved. PSOM is meeting today, 2 o'clock, my class, Gospel of John, 4 o'clock. Sis Tammy will be teaching on missions. And of course, we have our uh, prayer meeting this coming Wednesday as we do every week. And our next prayer and fasting meeting will be early. It will be Friday, November 22nd. We're doing it a week early because of Thanksgiving. Also, I want to remind you, we're going to have our Thanksgiving Eve service as we've done every year. So the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, and I don't remember precisely what that date is. I think it's the 27th, is that right? Something like that. Um, that there'll be a service, our regular weekly time, 7.30, but we will be having a Thanksgiving Eve service, and I'll be preaching. I encourage you to be part of that as well. So good things coming forward. By the way, in 2020, we're going to move our prayer and fasting meetings to Wednesday nights. So the last Wednesday of every month will be our prayer and fasting rather than Friday. We, we felt that we were sort of uh, dividing ourselves by trying to do it on a Friday, and we wanted, to, we wanted to be more focused and unified by doing it on a Wednesday. We think that'll be a good schedule, so just bear that in mind. So this prayer and fasting meeting on Friday, November 22nd, that's the last one of the year, and it's the last one that we'll do on a Friday, and then starting in January, we'll move that to the final Wednesday. Did you get all of that? That was sort of a rapid download. I sensed the room sort of going into your phone, like people were checking text messages. It can happen, you know. You're doing it in your mind without even looking, but you're thinking, I felt it vibrate. Was that so-and-so texting me? It's okay. But here's the word of the Lord for us today. It's perfectly attuned to what I just said. There are many distractions, but there's only one God. Lord, as we open your word today, we ask that you would draw our attention to the one thing of you. This is our 501 series, so I'm in jeans every week. 501's workhorse garment, and yet fashionable. You got to shrink to fit, you got to wear them for them to fit onto you, but they prepare you for all the seasons of life. You can wear them in... Among royalty, I don't know if anybody wears jeans when they go meet the queen. Probably not. I don't think that's allowed. If anybody did, it was an American, I'll tell you that. That'd be a very American sort of thing to do, right? Here I am in my jeans. What are you going to say about it? Back to basics. The 501 series is about five places in Scripture where the Scripture says to us there's one thing that can fix our focus on Christ, that can rivet. Oh, there's a Levi's reference for the, for the sharp-eared. Rivet your focus on Christ, right? And so we've talked about two of these five ones. The first came in Psalm 27, particularly verse 4, a psalm of David in which David said, there's one thing I ask, and the whole psalm was about knowing and loving God, but especially right as they went into battle. There's one thing I ask as I face death and destruction and enemies, and that is to know and love God. That's a very telling thing, that in that Heat of battle, David's heart is for the Lord. It shows that he is seeking the kingdom of God first and trusting that everything else will be added unto him. In that pursuit, there was a young man of very great means 
who came to Jesus, that same heart, I want to serve God, what must I do to enter to the, into the kingdom, to achieve eternal life, to receive the eternal blessing of God? And Jesus said, there's one thing you lack, and that is to give away your treasure. What Jesus identified was that rich man was bound by his possessions. He was possessed by his possessions, held by his holdings, owned by his ownings. And so he was a slave to all of his abundance. Jesus said, be set free from that. Take of what you have and give it to those who need and come follow me. The lesson for us was to remember that if we are really filled with faith, we will be people who let that faith flow through us. We let go of what we have. We don't hold on to things except God. We only hold on to God and allow God to hold on to us and release through us everything else. As we give away and give to God and give for God, it is given back to you. The same measure that you measure out is the measure that God uses to measure back to you. So the one thing is to make sure that our treasure is in heaven and that we value God above anything else. But there is still one thing that we need. And that's what we're going to look at today in the book of Luke chapter 10. You can turn there with me if you will. Luke chapter 10, where Jesus says, but only one thing is needed. Will you stand and read this scripture together? I promise this is not a long message today, and you really have heard a great deal of it already. But let's read the word together aloud and loudly right here on the screen. Are you ready? Let's do that. Reading together now. But only one thing is needed, and it shall not be taken away from those who find it. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. You know, it's easy to become familiar with Jesus saying things like this and to just sort of let it wash over you. But in this Back to Basics series, I want to keep coming back to this thought. What if you and I really believed this? I mean, do you think that Jesus can be trusted? I should hope so. That's the point of being a Christian, right? I can trust the word of Christ. Jesus is saying there's only one thing needed. And once you have it, it won't be taken away from you. That's powerful. It's liberating. I want to read to you something that was in my devotions yesterday. And I was so profoundly uh, impacted by it. I thought, I, I'm going to incorporate this into the message, even though the message is already um, uh, completed. And it's a commentary on Hebrews chapter 4, but I'm not reading you the verse. Um, I want to read you the commentary instead. This is by Pastor Nikki Gumbel. Are you experiencing God's rest in your life? Or are you worn out? trying to control everything and everyone around you. Remember a few weeks ago when I did that message on uh, whose life is it anyway, we talked about how control really reveals our, our vulnerability and our fear. And each of us has that impulse. We want to control things. Maybe, says Pastor Nicky Gumbel, it is time to resign as general manager of the universe. You can take that hat off now. You weren't very good at it anyway, so neither was I. I was the worst. Maybe it's time to start believing 
God's promises and trusting God to do what only he can do. That trust, that is faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things seen. If, now listen, you've got to get this. It's simple, but it's so, it's so simple it goes right by us. It's like when you're on a train and you go by one of those uh, symbols, you know, it's a simple little pole, but you went right past it. Don't let this go past you. Don't you go past it. Get a hold of this. I don't know what happens when you're on the train and you reach out and grab a hold of that pole, <laughs> but I'll tell you, it'll bring you up short. It's one thing that'll get you focused. It's this. That trust is faith. And if you don't have that trust, then you don't have real faith. Or you're not letting your real faith work. You know what I mean? It's in the drawer somewhere. Because it came from God. So it's just possible that your faith is like that talent that he gave to the one man and that man buried it. He had it, but he didn't apply it. So if you're feeling like you've got to control the world and if you're worn out and you think, I want the rest of God, but I don't have it. Friend, it's not because God can't give it to you. It's not because it's not real. So why don't you have it? It's a real question. Maybe you say, I do. Good. Then lean into that rest and let that be your faith. Many of us think that faith is believing in our heart and confessing with our mouth. We think that because the scripture says, and therefore it is true. But let me ask you this. If you confess with your mouth, is that a work? Is it not a work? It's a work. It's some effort from you, right? So is the confession of your mouth real faith? If you are making that confession out of your flesh, which is simply saying this, I have decided that this is true, and I'm going to speak it as truth. That's not faith. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not faith. It's founded upon your own understanding. Now, your understanding is aligned with God's, so that's good. But the problem is it isn't fully aligned with God's because the reality is God says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So it's not enough for you to believe simply because you've looked in the word and seen it to be true. That's your evidence. It's necessary for you to believe what you can't see what you don't understand, what doesn't seem right to you, but is of my spirit. And that can only be received by the spirit. No one comes to the word of God and receives revelation except by the spirit. But it is out of the spirit that we make our confession. That's a confession of faith. So merely speaking the words is not the faith. It is what is in the heart that gives rise to the words. Here's the biblical proof of that. Jesus said, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will be saved. But wait a minute. Doesn't the scripture say anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved? Yes, but why do they call on the name of the Lord? Not a mechanical issuance of their intellectual uh, belief, but a heartfelt spirit-born call. So therefore, if you can call on the Lord and be saved, why then do you and I feel so afraid? The fear reveals the truth to us. The anxiety reveals the truth to us. 
Our agitation, our need to control reveals the truth. Our trust is not in the Lord. Last week when we talked about giving away, when we go to give away, there's a sharp pain somewhere in your body if you care about what you're giving away. If you don't care about what you're giving away, that's fine and well and good, but it's not really getting you to the place where you find that fear or that agitation. When you give away something you really like to keep, that's when you'll feel that pain that tells you, I feel like this is something I need. Why do people have shopping therapy? Because it's meeting a need. It's meeting a need. You say, there's nothing wrong with that. But there's only one thing you need, and it ain't shopping. You see? So if we really believe that, you say, well, I don't feel it. It doesn't matter whether you feel it or not. Live it. That's obedience to the Spirit. Living it. We say, well, isn't that a, isn't that a work? What did James say? Faith without works is dead, right? But wait a minute. How can faith be dead? Are you tracking with me? How can faith be dead? Didn't Paul write and tell us that faith, hope, and love never die? Everything else can pass away, but these these three remain, and the greatest of these is love. What does that tell us? If faith, hope, and love remain, if they are eternal, they are God. God is love, right? The greatest of these is love. Faith and hope are expressions of God's love. It was by faith and with the hope of glory that Jesus Christ the Son went to the cross. Faith in the love of the Father and hope in the Father's faithfulness. And it is faith and hope in God and in our Savior Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit puts into us. So therefore, if you do not have any works of God coming out of your life, you don't actually have the faith of God alive in you. But if you have the faith of God alive in you, are you then doing works of the flesh? No, you're doing works of the Spirit. This is what Ephesians 2.10 is talking about. The works of God prepared for us. And what God has prepared for you is rest, is peace, is trust, is power, perception, discernment, the ability to intercede, to evangelize, to pray and see people delivered and healed. The one thing opens up the door to everything. But without the one thing, everything is an effort and it's all of the flesh. So here, Nikki Gumbel is saying, are you ready to be done with that and enter into the rest of what God has for you? Then there's one thing that you need. Jesus said this when he had entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed her into his, him into her home. She had a sister named Mary. Now, Mary was so enthralled by the teaching of Jesus that she did something that was very unusual in their society. Typically, a rabbi would be teaching to men. If the rabbi, the traveling itinerant pastor, came to a household and was going to be teaching, the men of that household and neighbors would come and listen, and the women would be preparing food, and the women would be um, providing hospitality. By the way, a very important service and, and by the way, uh, something very honorable. Talk about giving. Talk about doing for others, sacrificing for yourself, right? Nevertheless, Jesus allowed and invited men and women alike to sit at his feet and receive of his teaching. Adults and children alike. Likewise, it was very unusual for children to come. But Jesus said, don't keep them from me. Let the children come to me. 
Jesus welcomed all who were willing to hear. Now, Mary, maybe you've done this. You've been serving. You're helping people and you're doing things in the party. And someone's speaking and you're trying to listen, but you're also doing all your service. I did that for years as a preschool pastor. I'd be in and out of the office listening to the, the service being simulcast, but I was busy doing my work, right? Trying to track with what was being said, but also doing my work. Mary's like, the, excuse me, Martha's like that. She's distracted. And she finally comes up to the Lord and she's ticked off. Here's my sister just sitting here, just couldn't be bothered to do a single thing. I'm there scaling the fish and I'm there making the bread and I'm there setting the table and trimming the wicks and taking people's coats and washing their feet and all the time she's just sitting there. And Lord, master, teacher, don't you care? Uh, isn't this inappropriate? She's completely shirking her responsibilities. Everybody else among the women is working harder, especially me, says Martha. And the Lord says, you're right, Martha. It's very displeasing that she should be so lazy. Mary, you wicked lady, get into the kitchen and help out your sister. That's not what Jesus says. Whenever we come to the Lord saying, what about them? What about them? What about them? You know what the Lord always does? Sort of takes, may I do this? I'm going to do this with Pastor Henry because he's my brother-in-law. And he says, hey, what about you? Let's talk about you. He does that to me, too. Such a sweet face, you just want. What about you? He says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. The terminology there is that it's like water in a whirlpool that stirs up all the debris. Everything's agitated, nothing's clear. Have you ever gone to a body of water where it's spinning like that and, and the, the, the particles of sand and everything get stirred into the water? That's what the Greek term is talking about there. You're all distressed and stirred up and muddied. But there's only one thing that you need. Not all these many things that you do. Mary has found that one thing and chosen it. She's chosen the good part and it won't be taken away from her. This is the word that the Lord spoke to me years ago during a time of great agitation in my life. I was really worried about a lot of things going on. I was worried about finances. I was worried about um, how to um, provide for my family. I was worried about job issues. I was worried about my health. It seemed like every aspect of my life was under on fire, on fire. I read, I read a passage in, I think, uh, I've read through... Um, so much of the scriptures this week that I forget where this was. I think it was in Ezekiel where it's talking about the whole world is on fire. Sometimes it felt that way this week. One fire, another springing up. How about in your life? Those fires just spring up right and left. As soon as you get one out, another one springs up. And you come to the Lord and you say, what's going on? And don't you care? And nobody else seems to be lifting a finger and I'm doing all this heavy lifting and what, what are you doing? And it was in this season like that that the Lord said to me, Courtney, come and lay down on your bed. It was the middle of a, of a day off. And he said, come lay down on your bed and just be with me. And I realized how hard that was. I couldn't even focus because my mind is going in all these different directions. I was trying to be manager of the universe. I've got a job to do. I'm trying to fix this so I can tell you, Lord, what you need to do. 
Isn't that it? I'll tell you, Lord, what I need. But friends, Kapatid, your Father in heaven knows what you have need of before you even ask. And it's your Father in heaven who speaks to the Son and says, there's really only one thing you need, and it's right here, I'm it. And what the Lord said to me that stilled my heart and changed my life was he simply said, there are so many distractions, but there's only one God, and that's all you need. Martha's efforts weren't unworthy. What she was doing was worthy and worthwhile. It's not that Martha was wrong and Mary was right. It's that Martha's efforts weren't necessary because they weren't focused on the eternal perspective. Martha was doing good things. She was doing good, but she was doing good out of the effort of her flesh, which is no good. Do you get it? Now, I'm like Paul who said, you know, these, these preachers that are preaching my, uh, you know, the word of the gospel, they've got bad motives and, and they've got bad intentions, but they're preaching the gospel. So as long as the gospel is getting preached, I say good for that, right? So there are people that are doing good things, and that's all well and good, but what you've got to recognize is you're not walking in faith and you're not experiencing the peace and the empowerment of the Lord if you're doing all of that in your own flesh. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're immune to doing things in your flesh. It means you have the discernment to recognize it and the power to relent. You and I as believers can allow the word to shine a light on the places where we're relying on our own flesh so that we can come and sit down at the feet of Jesus and say, I give all of that up to you. And I want the eternal perspective, Lord. Let me see the one thing that I need today. It's always God. But what God can show you is how is it that you can focus on God today in the middle of your fire? And this is the voice of experience right now because that's literally where I've been, right, the last 48 hours or so. Lord, what is your perspective? Should we stay or should we go? Who knows? How do you know if it's the right time to go or not? I had families and friends that were calling me and saying, our family's divided. Part of them want to stay. Part of them want to go. We, we don't have a mandatory evacuation, but we have, some, we have a voluntary evacuation. When is the right time to go? It's tough to make that decision. In life, there are times where we're facing things that are life or death that we don't know, but God knows. So rather than trying to make the right decision, go to the right God who is righteous and will show you. If you put him first, all those other things get added to you. So Mary's devotion was worthier. What Martha was doing was good, but what Mary was doing was right and righteous and eternal because she was hanging on every word of the Lord. We don't live just by bread. We live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus' word reveals where we choose to focus. It's up to us to choose our focus. When we focus on God, the works of God will be completed in us and through us. But we have to be focused on God. That's essentially what the one thing needed is, a focus on God. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Here, Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, may as well have been preaching to Martha. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble enough. Seek God, focus on him each day. Ask him to give you marching orders for that day. He'll tell you what you need to do to prepare for tomorrow. God is not profligate. He'll help you prepare, but you won't get out ahead of yourself 
and find yourself in the whirlwind of agitation and exhaustion that so many of us are in. And if you're in it, come to him. Jesus says, come to me. There's a reassuring promise here that our rest is found in focusing on him, the rest of God. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Look also again, or listen also again here to the words from this passage that I was speaking about. The way to find rest for your soul is to listen to God's promises, believe them, and show that you believe them by living in obedience to the word of God. In other words, don't just believe them in your mind. That's the flesh. Believe them in your actions by the spirit. Take a risk. Take a step into the unknown or step back from the whirlwind. Step back from all that doing that you're doing and start being with God. Let things go by because you're holding on to God. Remember the analogy I made about the train? You go by that thing and it's just beep, 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 and it's lost. But what if you grab onto it? The train leaves without you. And many of us are afraid of that. Sometimes we feel like that old uh, title, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. But some of us are afraid if we get off the merry-go-round, we'll never get our place back. And how will we climb to the top? You don't. You go down to the bottom. You go to your feet and still before the Lord. Don't worry about that that merry-go-round of the world. The brass ring comes from that. Did you know that? That saying, grabbing the brass ring, which means achieving uh, the highest order of success in the world, it comes from a merry-go-round where kids would try and get the brass ring. It's just a brass ring. It doesn't mean a thing, but there's a crown of glory for those who will still themselves at the feet of God and say, let the world go by. I'm focused on you. Some of us need to relearn that practice today and let the rest of God be upon you. The one thing needed is to divorce ourselves from the distractions and dedicate ourselves to faithful, focused discipleship in Christ. Discipleship more than anything else is this, believing what God has said and trusting him to make it true in you. Believing not just with your mind, but with your whole being and letting it show in the way that you live. It will cause you to live in a way that radically disrupts others. People will come to you and say, how come you're not helping? But if you're focused on God, you don't have to defend yourself. God will be for you so no one can be against you. You don't have to be obnoxious about it. Just let Jesus respond to them. There will be people who come to you and say, you shouldn't be doing that. That's not right. That's not practical. That's not wise. There'll be people who say, you have obligations to your family or you have obligations to this community, but your first obligation is to the Lord. How can you, how can you do right by your family if you're not doing right by the Lord? And if what God calls you to do doesn't seem right in the eyes of your family, let God take care of that. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't care about others. We talked last week about how you need to. What I'm saying is real discipleship is a dedicated focus to what God is saying to us today. The Beatles famously sang, all you need is love. Remember that? All you need is love. But real love is really God. 
God is love, 1 John 4, 8. So really, what they should have saying is, all you need is God. And that's true. God is all you need. And he loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves you, yeah, yeah, yeah. He loves you, yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, with a love like that, you know you should be glad. Lord, we give our lives to you. They belong to you. And you're the only thing we need. We thank you that you love us so much that even when we were rushing around, you came and found us and invited us to sit at your feet and be fed from your table, to be fed by your body and blood to be cleansed and set right. And Lord, our heart is for a world that is on fire, spinning so furiously, fighting so outrageously and lost so desperately. Give us your heart and love for them, Lord. For anyone, Lord, participating in this prayer today, wherever it is, live or by recording or reading, however it may reach them, Lord, right now you reach them. Speak their name. Say, dear one, my child, there's so many things you're worried about, so many things you're trying to do, so much you can't correct, so much you can't control, but I'm telling you, There's only one thing you need. It's me. And if you'll give yourself to me, I will give myself to you, not like the world. What I give can never be taken away. What I receive can never be taken from my hand. So will you do that? Will you repent right now of your resistance? I do that too, Lord Jesus. I repent of my resistance that manifests in being agitated and worried when I should just be trusting you. You know, Lord, it's common to our type. But I I repent of it all the same. And I say, Lord, teach me and my brothers and sisters to trust in you. Lead us in faith. Receive us into the kingdom, Lord. And bring the kingdom into the world through us. If that's a prayer of yours and it was the first time, I want you to know he calls you to take action. Out there, if you're hearing this and you've given your heart to the Lord for the first time, don't stop there. That's the beginning, not the end. It's the beginning of all the good things of God in your life. So take the next step. Confess it because of the joy that God is already placing in your heart. Come be baptized in water. Come be part of a fellowship of faith where the word of God is taught and the spirit of God is revered and the people of God are built up on their most holy faith. And if you're here in LA and you want to be part of PCF, we invite you to do that. But wherever you are, there are people of God near you. Find them and be a part of them so that the good things of God that have been begun can be carried forward. Because I promise you this, he who has begun a good work in you today, he will see it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. And all the rest of what God has got for you and its good, he will bring into you. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Hallelujah.